are we rolling? <laughs> we, we sure are. <laughs> Fantastic. Goddamn phantom. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, hosting once again. Uh, this is um, uh, HPV. I'm Brad. I'm Chris. And the movie on deck is a wonderful selection from 1934 starring William Powell and Myrna Loy. Uh, William Powell plays the Thin Man. Who is, uh, how would you describe the thin man, Chris? Uh, an alcoholic of the highest order. <laughs> an extremely high-functioning, high-saturated alcoholic. He yeah. is pickled. <clears throat> now pickled, this is Brad, pickled. 1934, so Prohibition is over. We're getting right into this. No nonsense today, huh? Well, I guess so, <laughs> because... just blazing right into this. I, well, um... I can look at all business Brad over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I'm really delighted, because this was one of those roll the dice, I know you haven't seen this movie before, what would you think, you know, what, the, what would the reaction be, and, um... Uh, you prefaced this with a lot before you told me what it was. <laughs> I believe well, the exact words were, all right, hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you know, um, I thought, okay, well, 1934, you, no matter what, are a uh, huge fan of movies. This is clear. Yeah. So I knew the story was good. I knew the acting was good. Um, but... It honestly had been a good 15 years since I had seen it. And with it, all of the, you know, frankly, shitty movies that have been coming out lately, it's kind of like, okay, will this be something that will be um, kind of a, a reprieve, something new, different, exciting? Or will it be something that, you know, will just kind of be dismissed, shut down because... Maybe I won't even like this anymore. You know what I mean? I remember some very distinct scenes that you and I will talk about, of course. Yeah. But, um, but I had that moment where it was like, well, you know, what was the other movie that I brought as an, another choice? A uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Delightful movie. I'm, I'm glad to find out that you've seen it how many times? Uh, who knows? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Same as me. A lot. Wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, so it became obvious that Thin Man was the choice. And um, for me, I know our little tagline is we watch bullshit, you know? Yeah. But in this case, I think I wanted to flip it a bit to say this movie was done, I mean, no joke. 80 some yeah. 85 90 years ago almost you can still connect to the characters the jokes make sense they're risque you know they've got the little sexy sexy going all the time the patter between uh william powell and myrna loy feels like they're a natural couple that have known each other for years yeah and i mean Dude, you're telling me you couldn't relate to this movie? Whoever people dismiss classic black and white movies and things like that just because they're older movies? It's like, uh, to me, this is a perfect example to say, no, that's bullshit. That attitude is bullshit, you know? And uh, nowhere am I trying to say that I expected you to have this attitude, but I was really interested in seeing how you would 
respond to this movie that's so old and and just basically it's this fucking drunk who stumbles through a whole murder investigation and somehow i mean stages this whole thing to reveal the murderer and it's just i mean (laughs) it's just to me this this was an a-list studio movie you know, and it, it definitely shows. That's one of the things that I very much notice about this is that it does suffer from being made in 1934. There's, mm. there's no question about it. I mean, the plot is kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah. At times, there are shitloads of characters, mm-hmm. and it, a lot of it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But you can tell it is from that golden age where they cared about making movies because mm-hmm. there are some shots in this that are absolutely incredible. Yeah. And yeah. like I said, the uh, the editing on this also pretty fucking fantastic. When I notice editing, because I'm not that kind of movie guy. Yeah. <laughs> but when I notice how good it is, especially for 1934, mm-hmm. it, it's a pretty astounding movie that I honestly can say I would never have watched this. Excellent. Without having done this. (laughs) Well, yeah, like as a testament to the editing, when the first uh, murder is revealed, um, they have this whole sequence where suddenly these different people who we've kind of seen in passing for the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie, now suddenly in quick succession, it's like they're doing the, uh, the screen wipe. To go to, oh, see, now here's these two people, and here's their alibi real quick, and here's the cops running in on this person, and here's this. So suddenly you're getting all of these stages of the investigation, you know. And um, and again, 1934, these people paid a ticket, sat their asses down in a theater, and watched this whole thing from start to finish, you know. So and, there And probably something else before or after it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly so. So, you know, the whole idea of uh checking cell phones or, you know, the um the um sort of programmed attention span of you've got twelve minutes to the commercial break, you know, that sort of thing doesn't really exist here, you know? So uh, <laughs> so this, I kind of am delighted that the pacing is all over the fucking place with this. <laughs> yeah, and this is one of the movies that, like, I talk about it with some of the horror movies that we watch even, is uh, being an active viewer. Mm-hmm. And at the time when this was made, you, yeah, like you said, that was yeah. your, pretty much your only option, was that or make out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you were watching the movie, you were watching the movie. So yeah. having 12... 13 different characters in it that you had to follow and remember names because they talk about a lot of characters that are off screen and you have to remember names and who these people are. Yeah. Active viewing was a very big part of this. Yeah. And I think if you are just dinking around on a phone, this movie's not going to make any fucking sense. Yeah. (laughs) And and even if you are paying attention, this movie might not make a lot of fucking sense. Yeah. Because it is a lot to keep track of. Well, not only that, but the latitude in the investigation that uh, William Powell is given as the Thin Man. Okay, so basic premise of the story. He's like when Batman's just walking around crime scenes. No, even better, it's like Bruce Wayne, not even as Batman, but has (laughs) just declared himself the world's greatest detective. Yeah, and, and it's just trompsing around in crime scenes. Yeah, and instead of being like, oh, what is that strange masked man? Who is that? Oh, that's Batman. It's okay. He's cool. He's just stumbling in with a martini, 
going, hey, Commissioner and, Gordon. And they are welcoming him in at every <laughs> turn, like trying to actively to get him involved when he doesn't want to be. Yeah, he's coquettish and plays hard to get for like the first 30 minutes of the whole movie. No, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to know details of the case. No, give me another drink instead. Keep the drinks coming. Keep the news, you know, to the side. And I, I don't want to hammer too much on it because it, it's very obvious if you've seen a single frame of this film, but they are drinking constantly. Constantly. Yeah, the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous did not exist in 1934. <laughs> they, there are a few scenes where they wake up in the middle of the night to go have a drink. <laughs> Dude, that's one of my favorite scenes, okay? He wakes up. I forget the reason that he wakes up. Yeah. It probably is, just to wake up to go get a drink, right? But then, so he's woken his wife now. Somebody knocks on the door. She just walks right over. It's like, who are, you know, hello. Not even who are you. Just hello. Hey, come on in. (laughs) The guy is like, I need to talk to your husband. That's it. I just need to talk. And she's like, all right, well, come in. I'll let him know you're here. Doesn't ask his name. No idea. And we're not, okay, so we haven't even really set up the whole story yet. But these are just some of the delightful scenes that are in this movie that would never fucking happen in a a quote-unquote contemporary, you know, movie. Just a man blubbering on the phone with an operator screaming about how he wants to talk to his mom. I want to talk to my mom! Yeah, so, and the gag with that is they're in New York. He's calling long distance to San Francisco, and of course it's being charged to the thin man's phone. Uh Uh-huh. And this guy is blubbering away at a Christmas party where every guest is just hammered, sloshed out of their fucking minds. They're trying to sing Christmas carols, but it's all slurred nonsense. Even the dog is (laughs) baying with them or trying to hide his ears because it's so fucking terrible. I mean, this movie is fucking brilliant, dude. (laughs) <laughs> it's and that's what like it's, it's New York high society indulgence just splashed across the screen unrepentantly. I love it. And the uh, to their credit, honestly, the tonal shifts between the slapstick and the uh, real nitty gritty who done it angles. Yeah, they work very well together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. Tonally, it's done very well. And I think part of that really has to do with the cinematography and how they do the transitions from the um, apartment apartment scenes, conversational scenes, through to the actual crime scene locations where the more sinister dealings happen and take place. You know, those those sort of shifts. And of course, it's 1934. It's all black and white, you know. And um, people can dismiss that as uh, as a medium if they want to, but I think this movie clearly demonstrates that when you had cinematographers, you had professional crews who really understood lighting and um, composing shots and things like that. I mean, the drama of, of these scenes, you could attribute some of this directly to the lighting. And uh, structure, just the composition of the shots. Yet not a single frame of this film is lazy. Not at all. Like, they made, it was professionals (laughs) making a movie. Because back then, you made a movie, it had to have a return. 
Oh, yeah. You had to make money. Well, you've just simplified my ramblings into very concise sentences. Yeah, that's exactly it. Everybody was professional on the ball because it was a business, and they knew that this movie had to win. Again, this was an A-list studio picture, so they weren't, they weren't messing around with this one, you know? Yeah, young Cesar Romero in there. Yeah. Oh, dude. And uh, it also had, um, oh, what's her name? Maureen O'Sullivan. Yeah. Anyway, so um, studio picture with lots of great, um, for that time, uh, contemporary stars and things like that scattered around. And um, so the story is basically uh, the thin man, William Powell, and his wife, uh, Myrna Loy. William and Myrna. (laughs) They're the Charles uh, couple. His name's Nick, and her name is... Uh, who I dude I don't remember anybody's names which is why it was so hard f- to follow this. Well the dialogue is really quick and there's a lot of darlings and dears and things like that all the way through it as well. But um <clears throat> but anyway so the point is is that they're a married couple they're visiting New York they're usually on the west coast and um William Powell is a detective who's retired but he's got a reputation as a very successful detective. And um, he's retired because somebody died and left his wife an exorbitant amount of money. So right. they just retired. And, yeah. and now they're just literally drinking and lounging and doing nothing. Because they have no need to do anything. Yeah. They literally have uh, access to what would essentially be a, a billion-dollar family inheritance is, is essentially what we're talking about. So why work? You don't mm-hmm. have to work. They literally make it clear multiple times that uh, um, William Powell's just there to uh, drink and enjoy spending his wife's money. He literally says it. Yeah. At least twice in the movie. No, darling, I'm spending your inheritance. <laughs> yeah. And she's perfectly fine with it. She's totally in on the joke. She's like, yeah, that's why I'm here too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> so... And I just wanted to say, uh, regarding their relationship together, mm-hmm. I think that is what makes this film for me, is because their relationship is so believable as this just train wreck, drunk-ass couple. Yeah. Because if you know a couple like that, we've all met them. Yeah, yeah. Just one of them happens to be a detective. They, mm-hmm. how, how do I want to say it? They uh, antagonize each other constantly. Yeah. And what I think is really cool is that it's never just him getting over on her. She has agency of her own. Oh. And talks shit to him constantly. Yeah. They're both very intelligent. They respect each other's intelligence. And I think that's part of why the uh, back and forth works is because, as you say, there's that familiarity there that lets you know that they're not being deliberately cruel to each other. They're just sort of uh, expressing themselves in this kind of uh, quippish, sarcastic, and occasionally maybe uh, uh, deliberately (laughs) uh, teasing way, you know? But again, as a married couple, what we're seeing here is this familiarity with each other that allows this sort of playfulness that might otherwise, you know... um, not work with other uh, couples or whatever. But yeah, 100%. Their chemistry is is uh, excellent 
in this movie. Yeah, it's und- it, like I cannot express how much it actually does make this movie because mm-hmm. their performances off of each other, especially, mm-hmm. are absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this inventor guy who discovers that uh, <laughs> this guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This guy. Try and follow this. All right. So there's this inventor guy who's decided he's going to go out of town because he wants to work on some experiments in peace. He's ready to leave. He goes over to his mistress's house. Well, his daughter shows up and tells him, Dad, I'm getting married. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) So the daughter comes in, says she's getting married. We meet the fiancé. Everybody's happy with that, although it seems like the daughter might be a little bit of a tramp and this guy might be, you know... Some sort of shady guy. Everybody's shady in the first 30 minutes. So oh, yeah. Everybody's got Suspicious some sort of... Suspicious as hell. Yeah, exactly. Making these little aside glances or something like that. The boss man um, goes to his office after meeting his daughter, goes to uh, check his safe for whatever reason because he's getting ready to leave, finds out there's these missing bonds. And his assistant has this weird look, like he might know something, but he blames the mistress girl. Yep. And she she flat out admits that she took him and basically yeah. just says, fuck you, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> it's a great scene. All right, I took it. Yes, I did. <laughs> I have needs too. Yes. Uh-huh. You think? She's like, look, I'll get you $25,000. Yeah, the bonds are worth $50,000. 1934. $50,000. That's a lot of money. And she's like, well, I'll give you half. Give you half. And he's like, no, I need it all. I'm going out of town. And uh, come to find out, she's been two-timing him with this other gangster. And he finds out about it in that same scene. So he's like, oh, okay. I'm just going to go, um, you know, murder this guy or whatever. Gets this weird look in her in his eye. She freaks out, and he leaves. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do something bad. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the last scene we have with him. He disappears after that. I know, which is a real shame because he is such a delightful old crank. Oh yeah, uh huh. One of those guys who's like, you don't tell me, I'll tell you. Just yeah. he's he's just mad about existence. It's my favorite kind of old man. They're like, how are you? I'm fine. They do the one thing to build sympathy with him a little bit, which is when the daughter is there uh, announcing that she's going to get married to this guy after three months of, you know, dating him. Uh, You can see he's got a soft spot for his daughter. Yeah. That he genuinely, okay, so the guy, you know, he may be a cantankerous old bastard, but he does have this soft spot for his daughter. Yeah, he does check with her on whether he should come to the wedding because her mother and stepfather will be there and he wants to make yeah. sure that it's all right. Yeah, exactly. He's not looking to cause a scene or ruin his daughter's wedding, you know, but... <clears throat> but he does have secret secret science to go do. Yeah, you know what? I'm. It's, it's just occurring <laughs> I'm building to a me. death ray in the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just occurring to me that there are so many different little weaves and characters and things like that if i try and tell you know the the plot we're gonna be here eight fucking hours because then i'd have to describe all the characters and all of this so basically this guy disappears and when he disappears it touches off this whole investigation because 
at first people are like, oh, well, he'll come back. And then a murder happens. And then things really start to escalate from there. And suddenly all of these different characters have to come up with these alibis. And the whole time that that's happening, William Powell is like, I don't want to investigate this stuff. I'm retired. I'm getting drunk. And basically Myrna Loy, uh, over a period of time, is like, you know what? I really think you should do it. I think you should do it. And then this guy shows up at their door and <laughs> and says... And immediately pulls a gun on him. Yeah. And <laughs> now this is one of the best scenes in the whole fucking movie. I love his quote. I, I don't remember it exactly, so I'm paraphrasing. But, uh-huh. hey, would you mind putting that gun away? My wife's fine with it, but I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she just looks at him like... You asshole. <laughs> Yeah, she even says something like that. Oh, you idiot, or something. And I love the, the whole, or at the beginning of that, when the guy's got the gun on him, he's got that weird look on his face, and she has no idea, because she has his back to the gunman. Yeah. And she's just prattling on, hammered at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, okay, yeah, so circle back to what we were saying about 10 or 15 minutes ago. This is the scene that we're talking about. William Powell wakes up for whatever reason. To get a cocktail. Fixes himself a drink. Because he's got the DTs crawling all over him. (laughs) He offers his wife a drink. She's like, no, I don't want one. Waits till he gets into bed and then says, you know what? I do want one. Makes him get up to make her a drink, right? And then, while this is going on, someone knocks on the door. She goes, answers the door. And this guy is like, I need to talk to your husband. See, that's it. I just need to talk to your husband. She's like, all right, all right come on in. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Two in the morning. Yeah, you want a cocktail? <laughs> Doesn't even, yeah. That's what she asks. Uh, that's basically, so, but she says, wait here. I'll go get him. She goes into the bedroom. Come to find out, he, he's followed her to the bedroom. He's got a gun in his hand. William Powell sees this, but she doesn't because she's got her back to him, like you said. She comes around to the other side of the bed, and God bless them, they have single beds. They each have a single bed with a lamp uh, in between them in a perfectly stylized, uh, proper uh, Hollywood couple setting. But I think you actually deduce the real reason. Would you like to enlighten us, Chris? I think that the reason <laughs> that they have separate beds is not because of like the legal code at the time. It's because uh-huh. he is a fall-down alcoholic. <laughs> he pisses, pisses the bed every single night of his life. Yes, And his... she is sick of waking up in his swamp. <laughs> his mattress probably has uh, rubber rubber covers on it. The amount of piss and sweat coming out of that man while he is sleeping has to well, be the most noxious smell in the world. Well, you know, you saying that actually reminds me the amount, excuse me, uh, excuse me, the amount of alcohol this guy fucking drinks, right, would literally be saturating his system to such a degree that his body as a self-defense mechanism would be sweating, all the fucking time. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Because the so, first time we meet him, he is six <laughs> martinis deep before sitting down with his wife. And yeah. they have a drinking contest, and she passes out. And he wakes her up and says, yeah, yeah, I made you a drink. You want to keep going? You're ready for a drink? And she's like, hell no. <laughs> this so, man's sleep is a nightmare for, the, for anyone awake. <laughs> well, okay. So, um... Stranger shows up, 
with the gun on both of them and start saying, hey, I didn't kill that girl. The cops are trying to set me up. Everybody's setting me up. And uh, William Powell's like... He is vomiting exposition at William Powell, who has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. And moreover is maintaining the, I'm not involved in the investigation. I don't want to be involved in the investigation. I know I'm a detective, but I'm, I'm out. And this guy is like, okay, well, you know, uh, that's kind of bullshit, and um, and uh, I'm not going to be the fall guy. And William Powell, out of nowhere, turns well, around. Well, the, the police knock at the door. Oh, right, right, right. Because the police are pounding on the door, and he says, Ah, you dirty rat, even though he's been in there the entire time with them. There's no way they could have called anyone. <laughs> right, but the the guy, bad guy that he is with the gun... Just immediately assumes that um, somehow uh, they, they have, tripped the bat signal. Yeah, they or, have alerted the police. Yes, uh huh. Somebody said the safety word, and the police um, show up at the door. Now they do explain this later, saying that they were um, following him, following the bad guy, and they saw him go into their apartment building and they thought uh oh that probably can't be good so they followed him in and hey good thing we did blah 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 right so um so yeah so in, in the heat of the moment uh-huh after the a gunman is riled by the police at the door yes hey hey stiffy let us in it's the police nick's genius plan <laughs> To distract the gunman uh-huh. so he can wrestle the firearm away from him. Right. Is to wrench back and just absolutely clock his wife yep. right in her fucking face. Paste her. Knocks her. Cold cocks her. Knocks her. Flat the fuck out. She drops off the other side of the bed. Like, not even, oh, like, oh, I just need to, like, stun her a little. Yeah. He gives her a fucking right haymaker. He doesn't even politely push, like, get down, honey, or no. anything like that. And He's then, straight, whip, whip, pap. She goes down. She falls off the bed. The gunman, stunned as anyone else by this. <laughs> Immediately yeah. has a pillow thrown at him by yeah. Nick. Yeah, uh-huh. The wife gets the fist <laughs> to the face, and the gunman gets a pillow tossed at him. <laughs> but, it, it, well, yeah, and then Nick charges then, him. Yeah, Nick charges, dives at him, gun goes off. Uh, Nick wrestles uh, him, the bad guy, uh, back towards, like, out of the room. And as they're wrestling out of the room, boom, the cops come in because they heard the gunshot. They break the door. And uh, quick run into the bedroom. Boom, bad guy is caught. Uh, In custody. Yep, immediately. And they have a very long conversation with him in the bedroom. While, while Nick is shot. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nick shot. He's like, it's he, just a flesh wound, darling. Don't worry about it. So he realizes that he <laughs> needs to check on his wife. Yes. So he cradles her in his arms. It's a very tender moment. And, and to revive her from the violent right hand he just threw at her, <laughs> he waterboards her with gin. <laughs> just now, pours straight liquor down her throat. <laughs> now, that's a bit harsh, even though uh, it can be called accurate in terms of a description. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, so essentially she's out and he's like, darling, darling, wake up, darling. 
darling. And he goes, here, hand me that bottle. <laughs> and he straight dumps yeah, whatever like, it was they were drinking. Like manna from heaven, he just revives her with grain alcohol. But, you know, again, 1934, just a testament to the idea that booze is the answer to fucking everything. <laughs> you know, she spurts awake. Huh, huh, what? And... Her, her whole response is, oh, darling, I knew you could take him. I just wanted to see you do it. Like, not even concerned at all. Like, my jaw hurts. <laughs> hey, you, know? you asshole. <laughs> I think you might have cracked one of my teeth, you fuck. Why did you? You could have just pushed me. I mean. You could have thrown the pillow at me yeah, and hit any, that guy. <laughs> any other hint of what you might have been doing would have been better than just pasting me on the fucking face. There is an infinite <laughs> number of solutions to this problem, Nick. <laughs> do you see this? Why did this, you feel the need? Do you see this goose egg <laughs> on my fucking cheekbone, you asshole? It's two knuckles from you. So, yeah. Anyway, she totally forgives him, isn't concerned at all, and he's like, oh, that's my, that's my trooper of a wife. Gives her a big old hug and a kiss. And I mean, again, a very, very tender moment. And you know. immediately, when the police bring the gunman in and start questioning Nick and the gunman, he begins just guzzling alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't stress enough. He he goes through like two bottles in this scene. But okay, now now let us also And the remnants of her drink, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. So I <laughs> So I think that was one of the things that I really liked about the scene is first of all, it opens, you know, with him starting with the cocktails. And then throughout the whole scene, this is what I was going to say, is, yeah, okay, he goes through probably two bottles of, say, one's, one's clearly some sort of gin, the other one's probably some form of a light whiskey or something, but let's not forget, he was shot, he, yeah. he was grazed by a bullet, and alcohol is a cure-all medicinal. Yeah, that's not going to help him bleed out whatsoever. Well... It, it will help tremendously with the pain yeah, as he starts he to flat, become lightheaded. He flat out says, loss. I didn't even feel it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's so trashed. He doesn't feel getting graced. And I mean, he gets, if, if the description is accurate, it's a bullet graze across the ribs. Now, this is a 38 revolver. It's a standard 38 police revolver that is being used here. So... That is not something that is just like, you know, a light little graze across the ribs. That's like some real fucking pain, some meat taken from the bone, you know. Yeah, maybe you can just casually sit there and bleed, but I mean, fuck, it's on your ribs. Every breath you take is fucking like, <gasps> you know, and he's just knocking back the bottle and the cops are all like, oh, he's fine. We can ask some questions. We can have a whole conversation for the next 10 minutes. Because he's just, you know, knocking back the booze like a strong detective would do. Like any gumshoe. <laughs> yeah, like any man's man in 1934. Fucking A right. The crazy thing is, is that he's not hardcore smoking, as you might expect to see, you know? Yeah. Because... Um, there is in, uh, I, maybe it's the second one, uh, there are four of these Thin Man movies, by the way. We just saw the first one. 
But in one of these, they go to... They get even more problematic as they go along. Well, in one of them, they go to a nightclub as part of the investigation. It, it wasn't in this movie. Of course they do. Well, the nightclub is packed, okay? We're talking easily like 150, 200 extras just stacked into this, this tiny New York basement club. Every table has like five or six people... Every person, man, woman, child, smoking. The whole, I mean, everybody's like sitting at tables, right? The ceiling is about 10 feet, 12 feet tall or something like that. There's a good two or three feet haze at about the eight foot level. It's just smoke in the whole fucking club. I mean, you see that and you're like, how the fuck did anybody survive? Living through that shit. But that's what they did, and that was their casual weekend out. They had to scrub the walls of the set to reuse it again because they were instantly yellow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, dude. Or you just, you know, take it, repurpose it. Now it's, you know, some other uh, slum wall or something just smeared with tobacco grease. So one of my other favorite sequences is when they go uh, interrogate Scarface. Because it's the main detective who looks like a 1930s Josh Brolin and Nick. That's an excellent description. Because to me, uh, I kept thinking like Palooka, you know, this guy, he's got the the square jaw, the thick body, like he was a a boxer or something like that. And um, maybe he was a stunt guy as well. And anyway, he plays this detective, this gumshoe. But yeah, he's got a real sort of James Brolin look and uh, vibe about him with mm-hmm. the whole thing. That's a good call, dude. Good call. So they show up at uh, the gangster who was shacking up with uh, uh, Inventor's mistress. Yes, with the Inventor's mistress. This guy knew her from before, and he was uh, one of these other guys trying to blackmail uh, for money. And so uh, he came across her dead body and freaked out, ran. That's at least that's what his story is. But when the police detective and the thin man show up to interrogate this guy, there's this other blonde chick there who I guess was his wife or something like that. And they are having a real domestic squabble. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's a full-on blowout when these guys show up. And uh, because... She's found out about this other woman who uh, he had been having an affair with or whatever was going on. And she's all pissed off. But she's mainly pissed off because uh, they're broke and she needs money. And he was supposed to be covering stuff and now he's not. And, and <laughs> so, so she <laughs> at one point he charges at her. The the detective stands between him and is like, hey, we're not going to watch you paste your wife. Because she hucks a fucking pot at him. <laughs> well, she goes into the bedroom, then comes out, throws the fucking frying pan at him, and then uh, closes the door, right? Cops stop him from going after her, closes the door, comes out like two, three minutes later. She's got a coat on, got a suitcase, and the guy's like, oh, come on, baby, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's all my fault. And before that, he's like, ah, shut up or I'll paste you. How yeah, dare you? the detectives are like, hey, we know you've been seeing this other woman. And he deliberately yells toward the bedroom, that's a lie. Anyone who says that's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and then quietly, the thin man's like, 
basically says, "Come on, man. We, yeah. we, we know." And he's like, oh, all right. You know it, it. You know how. You know how it is out there. Yeah, I mean, guy he, gets lonely and all of that bullshit. You, you gotta stick your dick in something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so he basically is like, "Hey, I just, uh, you know." Was saw an opportunity, hey. thought I'd do a little this or that. It's hey, all police, harmless. Excuse me from this murder questioning. I have to go chase down my girlfriend that I said I was going to murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. She's got her suitcase, her coat. She got. She walks right out of the apartment. She's like, "I'm done." She's got this whole great speech. Oh man, she gives him a real burn before yeah. leaving. Uh huh. Holy shit! Yeah. It's like. Uh, well, essentially, it comes down to even if you were the last man on earth, I still think you're a piece of shit. Yeah. And I don't like criminals. And even if I did, I don't like criminals that are stool pigeons. That's even it. if I like yeah. criminals that were stool pigeons, I still wouldn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah, yeah. damn. 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 <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're not going to uh, work anything out in counseling. They're done. Yeah. So. So anyway, he tries to go after her, and the, the detectives are like, uh, we're trying to interview you about a murder. Yeah. You know, this woman that you knew that you said you cared about, um, who's dead now. <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, so they have this lovely interview, and... Um, and, uh, he where politely does it go from there? excuses himself to the bedroom that he immediately escapes from. <laughs> That's it. That's what happens. He's like, oh, yeah, you know what, guys? You're right. I can see how this would be suspicious. You know what? I'm happy to go with you to the police station. You know it would be very advantageous for you? The, this evidence that I have in my bedroom. Excuse me while I go get it. Yes. Closes the door. And they just sit there and they, talk for a couple minutes. They wait patiently. Like Nick jumps on the phone and is making a phone call. Yeah. Well, see, but this is the joke. Because Nick... Okay, guy closes the door. Nick gets on the phone. He's calling the, the police station to say, hey, tell the cops outside that this guy's going to be coming down the fire escape because Nick figures it out, right? And the yeah. detective is like, why that dirty? <laughs> Opens up the door. And, of course, he's gone. He comes back to grab the phone from Nick. And Nick's like, I already called the cops. You yeah, know, and you the go, detective's man. got it. And he takes the phone away from him and says, oh, you're exactly the cop I need to talk to. Catch that motherfucker. And so they catch him and arrest him. And, uh, no, wait a minute. He gets away, doesn't he? Yeah. He gets away. All right. He's the next one killed. Yeah, right. Now, how did he die? Uh, he was supposed to go meet somebody, and he knocked on the door That's and right. got shot in a doorway. That's right. It happens so quick, but it's one of the more brutal murders because it's right there in front of you. Yeah, in broad daylight. Yeah, yeah. He calls the guy and says, you know what? For me to keep my mouth shut instead of the yeah, other money that like you gave me. 5000 or yeah, something. Yeah, give me $5,000. Yeah, okay, you'll pay me. I'll meet you there. Goes, knocks on the door. Takes one look as the door opens and it's like, whoop, and turns to run away and boom, 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 gets shot five times. Right there in the street, door closes, boom. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, holy shit, that dude. In the entire time, we're seeing uh, headlines from the papers about how uh, the inventor, I forget his name. Wyant. Yeah, Wyant <coughs> is effectively like, 
killed three people. Yeah, he's on a killing spree. Because Nick uh, ends up going to his factory. Yeah. Or his office or wherever. Yeah. And just wanders in there with his dog and Mm -hmm. uh, casually breaks a hole in the floor. Well, now, okay. So, um, let's put this in perspective. Throughout the whole movie, up to this point, right, Nick has been saying, I don't want to be involved. I'm not a detective. La, 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 all this stuff, right? Then his wife comes home and is like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Where are you going? Because he's going to walk the dog. And he's, he says, yeah, I'm just, uh, I got these keys. No, she's looking at his coat and is like, what is this? He's like, oh, it's a flashlight. Well, what are you doing with these? Oh, this is a set of keys that I got for Wyant's office because I want to go uh, check a few things out. I got a hunch. I figured I'd just walk the dog and, you know. Go investigate this crime as yes. a loose cannon. Yes, just casually trespass on a crime scene <laughs> and see what I can find for my own self. I mean, to be blunt about how this would be interpreted in a quote-unquote contemporary <laughs> yes. situation. So, um, so, but this is also the significant point where he says, okay... I am actually going to investigate this because now... I, I will work in conjunction with the police, yes. Yes. Enough significant shit has happened to convince me that um, there's, there's other clues here and I'm going to go find them. So, okay. So, he goes and um, gets into the office, does uh, his little um, investigation where he recognizes, hey, it looks like... There's a hollow point in the floor, and he gets like a crowbar or something like that and smashes a hole and goes, oh, and in a fine piece of acting, in a close-up on William Powell's face, you can tell he literally smells something foul is afoot at that location, and now he's deciding what to do about it, and he knows he's got to call the cops. No. There's murder. Murder most foul. Murder most foul. This is indeed a serious crime. So I need to go have 32 drinks over it. (laughs) Well, to his credit, actually, he goes up to the office, he calls the cops, and then somebody else breaks in to get another uh, clue for the detective further along the way. He flat out tells the police, I'm calling you on Winant's phone. (laughs) Yeah. From well, his office. 1934. This is who I am. This is where I am. This is what I found. I'm not the criminal. Yep. Come come to the crime scene. I'm proving that I'm helping because I'm calling. I'm finding all of this shit, you know. And so uh, uh, the cop comes in. Um, the James Brolin guy comes in and he says, ah, so this is the uh, murder number three now. Yes. Wynant has now killed three people. Three total people. And the thin man is like, well, maybe it is, but there's still a few interesting questions that need to be answered. Because they've examined the body and realized that there is a, uh, a fracture in the sh- A piece in one of, of the shrapnel shins. In, the yes. shri- in the shin. And uh, that makes the thin man go, hmm, very interesting. Now... Here's another interesting thing. Josh Brolin, police detective, puts it all together and just goes, case closed, boys! (laughs) Well, now, here's the beautiful thing, though, is how does he put it together? Unlike 
uh, say you're CSI Miami or uh, name your forensics crime scene show, they um, exhume the uh, buried body. There are all of these detectives who literally just come running in, swooping in, excited to have something happen. And we cut to the crime scene, and there's the body, and oh, here's, here's the coat he was wearing. Oh, here's the pants he was wearing. It, all, it still has uh, lie on it, because lie breaks down human flesh really quick or something like that. And they're just handling this with their bare hands, looking at it. Oh, yeah. he holds hey. up the pants and to his own waist, the detective, and says... Huh, this guy was probably about 5'11", wouldn't you say, doctor? And the doctor's like, well, yeah, sure, 5'11", okay. Yeah, so he's just standing in this fucking dead body pit. They're like, hey, doc, you mind if I take a look at this? He's like, yeah, sure, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. I wasn't going to find anything anyway. Yeah, it's 1934. We're not, we're not seeing anybody taking any pictures. We're not seeing anybody doing, you know. What the like, fuck do you think I'm going to do with it? Yeah, hey, let's take this evidence. Let's be careful with the evidence. Maybe someone else has touched it. No, they're like shaking it out, you know, taking looks all over it, back and forth. And it's just like, oh, dude. That's, that's a nice jacket. Take it back and wash it. I'll give it to my wife. <laughs> like, nobody gives a fuck. Yeah, exactly. Hey, let's, uh, you know, like swab for potential um, DNA. Maybe there's some blood, maybe something in the area. Nah, they're all just tromping around the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's Josh lovely. Roland Detective just goes, uh, this person knew this person knew this person. Now they're all dead. Bing, bang, boom. Yep, exactly. Case closed, boys. All we gotta do... Yeah, he literally is like, alright, we're done. <laughs> yeah. All we gotta do is find this Wyatt guy, arrest him, and then we're done. Wrap it up, I'm going home. Yeah, yeah. It literally is like, you know, it's a Miller time moment. It's Miller time. We've earned it, boys. So, uh, so yeah. Still, though, Thin Man remains suspicious. There's still a few questions that go unanswered. So, he knows, and he shares this with uh, his wife. Yeah. He recognizes that that body is not who Josh Brolin thinks it is. It's actually... Wynan. The missing guy. Yes. The guy who's been missing these couple of months has actually been buried in this impromptu grave that's been discovered. This is what really threw me off, is when we found out that he had been dead for a couple of months. Yeah. At no point did it it seem like that much time had passed. Well, now that's because (laughs) you weren't paying attention. No, I know, but that was one (laughs) part of the movie that was very... uh, they hadn't really nailed timing down by 1934. Well, so that's why the sequence seemed very jarring to hear that, oh, he's been dead for a few months. Like, I thought this was all like two or three days that this well, was happening. <coughs> now, <coughs> on one hand, <coughs> I, can, I can see what you're saying. On the other hand, remember that uh, for us as contemporary consumers... We're used to things being expedited really quickly, whereas in that sort of a time frame, 1934, you would already know, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's got to make a phone call. This sort of shit's got to happen. That's my first sort of rationalization. But moreover, I'll say it opens with them like um, 
you know, having their, their parties and introducing people and, and stuff and this guy saying he's going to get out of town. Then we're jumped to like a, a Christmas party, you know, and he's been gone for about a week or two at the point of the Christmas party thing. So there's all of these little subtle things back and forth when they're quipping at each other that um, help with the time progression and then having that significant Christmas party date sort of in the, in the, not the first third, but about halfway through somewhere in there kind of for me pegs it as, okay, there's been a, a time transition here because we've got this um, significant um, holiday that's taking place. All right, that's fair. You know, but after that, I mean, once, okay, once, but, I mean, what's his name, it, figures there, out the dead body thing, going from the dead body to making the arrangements for the whole dinner party and oh, everything. Man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long that took, but they're literally saying, oh, we caught so-and-so trying to escape at this station, and we arrested them immediately and brought them over for your dinner party. No joke, this is some of the dialogue. So this is where it goes from a, a pretty good, like, classic whodunit <laughs> to, to, like, murder mystery dinner party. It turns into... Literally. Cl- yeah, it turns, yeah, like, literally. almost, like, into Clue. <laughs> well, and, and there's here's no- the other thing that did not occur to me until, once again, watching this with you... Excellent observation. This guy is just drunk and doing this on a lark. Yeah. The whole time he's been saying, no, I'm not interested, until he decides to get interested. And when he decides to get interested, as you pointed out, it's on his terms. Yeah. He He does does the whole thing. He lets the police believe that they're looking for this dead man. Yeah. So that he so can that stage. he can throw an intricate party <laughs> to prove how smart he is in front of everyone he knows. Exactly, stages this elaborate dinner party. They even show them working out, working out the seating arrangements. No, no, we want so and so here, so that when he, you know, has his little outburst, the cops will be able to jump on him. Yeah, he basically has a police presence. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, they put the they put the cops in busboy outfits. Yeah, and have them wait by the wayside until people start to freak out and lose their minds. Right. This That's, is all for his <laughs> ego. It's just for fun because he's bored and drunk. Yeah, yeah. It's which is the best. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about you know just indulging your own narcissism? I'm spending my wife's f- fortune. On booze, doing daily. absolutely nothing. Yeah, daily. At her permission. She's enjoying it because, hey, we're both having a good time, enjoying each other's company, getting drunk, spending this money. You know what? Maybe I will solve a murder. But you know what? I want to do it like a dinner party. Let's have fun and have steak and, you know. Hey, and let's invite the guy who broke into our house and shot me. What the hell? <laughs> Amongst the many different people. I he know invites. he's not the murderer, but I really want him there just to well, shove it up his ass. The best is he literally says twice before the whole party starts, he says, um, I don't know. 
who the murderer actually is, but I know they're here, and we're going to get them to confess tonight. Brad. And everybody's like, okay. Yeah, sure, man. Whatever. All right. Even his wife. There's a point where he's saying all of this shit, and then so-and-so did this, didn't they? And then this was the idea, and you... And he turns to his wife, and he says, how does that sound? And she's like, well, did you mean any of it? And he's like, well, I'm just making it up right now, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems right, don't you think? And yeah, she's she, like, like, asks him in hushed tones, like, well, who actually did it? He goes, I don't fucking know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and she looks at him after all of that, he's and goes, she's like, all right. You're fucking nuts. And he's like, yeah. So then he goes <laughs> yeah, back and yeah, he sure starts talking his bullshit again. Blah, 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 blah. Just right? pointing fingers at every single person. Yeah, exactly. And every person is like, well, no, it couldn't have been me. It couldn't have been me because of this. Right? And he goes, oh, yeah, right. So then what about you? <laughs> and they go, no. Right? And it gets to the point where uh, he starts pressuring the mistress who, uh, you know, stole the 50 grand at the top unrepentantly. And swears that she saw him the day before. Yeah, well, that's where she messed up because she's trying to maintain the lie that this guy is still alive, mm -hmm. right? So when Nick says, no, I saw him yesterday, she's like, oh, I saw him yesterday too. And everybody's like, really? And asks her to detail... And so she makes up this whole string of, of nonsense. And Nick goes, well, when I said I saw him, I saw him dead in a grave covered in lime. I saw a skeleton. It was terrible. It was horrible. You murdered him. And she goes, no. Yeah, that man that you saw in that grave, detective, it wasn't the other man. It was him. You're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and the detective, he says, Let's not focus on me yeah, now. Never, never mind that. <laughs> yeah, you keep telling your story. Don't don't focus on me anymore. He it, it is literally a drunk dickhead who had a hunch about whatever and is just wildly pointing fingers. <laughs> right. And, and then, trying to make everyone see how smart he is because he was bored. Because not only was he bored, but he decided to fuck with these people and just essentially bully them into confessing their private secrets until he found the one guy who literally brought a gun to the dinner. And it was the, not the Josh Brolin detective, it was like the, it his was friend the, or whatever. It was the lawyer friend who usually covered the business accounts for this inventor guy because he was a crazy nut job who was going to leave town and put the lawyer in charge of everything. So the lawyer decided to kill him because... Uh, he essentially wanted all the money and all of that, right? So lawyer pulls the gun on uh, Thin Man, and Thin Man just straight, just like he beat his wife, he does this right hook, cold cocks the guy, and as the gun goes off, pow, smack! And the guy falls back, and the cops jump on him, and, uh, and it's something... Uh, I forget so, what it is. So he's Why? the one who killed him. He's like, man, must be. He pulled the gun. <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. They're like, well, then who was the killer? Well, he's the killer. He has the gun. Did you see how mad he got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, naturally that's going to hold up in court. Yeah, and that <laughs> man should be so thankful that this dickhead <laughs> decided to just have a dinner party and yeah. make all of this evidence completely inadmissible. Yeah. 
Yeah, to fully <coughs> interfere with a, a full-on police investigation by staging this whole dinner party thing, making this accusation... For no reason. Well, it's not that there was no reason. It was that he was rather, you know, delighted and curious to investigate a crime because he was bored and he was drunk. And people were asking him to investigate it anyway, Chris. Let's not forget... People yeah. wanted him to investigate, so he simply was answering the call and helping a poor daughter understand what happened to her father because her father was murdered by a treacherous mistress who just wanted him for his money. So in the end, though, <laughs> that is really just kind of an easy ride around. Is like, we don't have to actually come up with a reason why anybody did this, right? Nah, just have them point fingers at everyone, and then eventually someone will get mad. You know what? It's always going to be about money, so we just need to find the one who is willing to kill him over the money. And it just happened to be the guy who brought the gun to the dinner party. So um, we were lucky that we figured all of that out and we had him sitting right next to me so I could punch him rather than have him take a hostage or shoot anybody else or have any other horrible thing happen. I mean, it's just, it's such a good fucking movie, Chris. Come on, man. And I love that the final sequence is him just yelling at his wife about how time zones work. <laughs> <laughs> He is slurring, and he can't let it go because uh, he because he's a drunk focused on a nonsensical issue. Narcissist, just like drunks fucking do. Yeah. No, it's a three-hour time zone. So if it's twelve here, then it's nine. What's the point? No one gives a fuck. They even tell him, well, then it sounds like it's time for bed, isn't it? (laughs) He's like, oh, it it sure does. Uh He and his wife walk into their, like, estate room on this train, and he immediately resumes the argument. Yeah. dear. Yeah. Let me explain again how time zones work. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. She's basically like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) She literally distracts him completely by saying, well, uh, you're go- I'm gonna, you're she- gonna sleep on the top bunk then, cause I'm not having your drunk ass in bed with me. I'm sick of you already. Yeah, I'm sick of all of your. You know, when the drunk just keeps rambling, that's you. I'm tired of you. And so he picks up the dog, throws the dog on the top bunk. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, now what are you gonna do, woman? And she's like, oh, well, I guess you win. This dog is living the best and worst life ever. (laughs) It is living in the absolute lap of luxury, but probably being neglected like all hell. Neglected, traumatized, terrorized occasionally. (laughs) They even make jokes, actually, out of the moments. Like like when Thin Man uh, punches his wife and then dives at the guy with the gun and the gun goes off. They show the dog run under a table and hide. And Thin Man later admonishes him like, yeah, well, oh, what you a guard coward. Dog you are. Yeah, yeah, some guard dog you are. And they just show the dog being like, oh, and he hides a little bit more like, don't, just don't ask me to do any, no. <laughs> the part where like the factory assistant comes in when he's uh, in the dark calling the police in the factory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't move or this dog will rip you to shreds and the dog just yeah. runs in the eyes. <laughs> and he just gives the dog the look. He just, you son of a bitch. 
And then immediately he's like, all right, you can come out. He's not going to hurt you. Yeah. God damn it. See, now, it's moments like that, though, that really run the risk of being uh, weird, uh, you know, overdone or whatever. But it still freaking works in in the way that they do it. It's just so fucking funny. They are so wealthy and aloof to everything going on that the Christmas present that they bought the dog was an indoor fire hydrant so this dog can just... (laughs) It's wherever in their apartment. <laughs> well, now, I'm sure that they're going to move the fire hydrant to some place like the balcony or something a little bit more sensible. But it's just the idea that they bought the dog a freaking fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the guy comes in to talk to him. He's like, oh, fire hydrant? What's that? And he goes, oh, it's the dog's Christmas present. And the guy goes... Ugh, like moves over so the dog doesn't piss on him. <laughs> but you and know what? I would like to remind you earlier in this sequence, mm-hmm. Nick was hammered on the couch. When is shooting, he not hammered? Shooting balloons. Oh, yes. <laughs> with a BB gun. Yeah, he was given doing... a BB gun for Christmas, and he calls it his favorite Christmas present ever. He's doing trick shots, laying drunkenly on his back, <laughs> like lifting his legs up and using it as a steady for... <laughs> yeah, holding it with his feet, shooting between his legs. He even gets on his back, he does the mirror over yeah. and shooting over the shoulder trick. Oh, dude. In which he shoots out the window. Yeah, and, th- and then he pretends to be asleep. Yeah. And his and wife then- is like, yeah, okay, not going to work. <laughs> yeah. And he, he <laughs> but, but also, whatever. You want a drink? <laughs> of course I do. This uh, film man. is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It has so many wonderful little moments in there where you're just like, uh, I can't believe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that this is the dialogue. This is so okay, so essentially what it is is um, you know, uh A list movie about an extremely uh wealthy, uh well known, uh popular couple that is uh, active in a way that just makes them sort of passive detectives and crime solvers and that sort of thing. I mean, um, Mrs. Mrs. Charles is uh, Myrna Loy's character. She's actively um, wanting to help and support people different ways and all of that. It's completely comfortable with herself with uh, their relationship and uh, feel so completely secure in her environment. Nowhere. I mean, this guy shows up at her door, complete stranger, twice her size easily, demanding to speak with her husband. She has no qualms whatsoever about letting him in, you know. No, just absolute faith that no matter what, everything's going to be fine. And this is essentially her disposition through most of the movie. It's uh, it's the, remarkable to watch this stuff. The sequence where I think it's the guy who ends up with the gun at the end. He comes in to talk to them, and earlier in the sequence, he had done the uh, thing where he pokes her in the chest and then flicks up to her nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they continue just 
fucking with each other through this entire scene while he's trying to have a conversation with this guy. They're like bumping each other with elbows and like yeah. It's they're like one step short of like giving each other wet willies and shit. <laughs> yeah. It's so goddamn funny. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think balances out the unevenness of the who done it tale because it is all over the place. Yeah. There are tons of times when there's like what in eight second sequence where that's the entire thing. Yeah. And we said like, mm-hmm. well, why did I need to see that? Well, I, and I genuinely think, but that's, I mean, where it's where filmmaking began and we learned a lot throughout yeah. the years that, Oh, we don't need to do that. Yeah. That makes this more confusing than it needs to be. Yeah. So that's yeah. why even in psycho, which was, you think it was 26 years after this. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you True. see even just the filmmaking tightening up the, oh, we can extend these scenes a little and we don't need the three second cuts and we don't yeah. need a lot of this useless dialogue. Yeah, because everybody's going to have to have an alibi. We don't need to show them saying their alibi in these vignetted segments and things like that. That's true. It's very true. But, you know, I still uh, I love those things because I love seeing how um, how indulgent early scripts would be where they would have the time and take the time to just show you these sequences that are now, you know, presumed to have happened, and rightly so. You know, let's tighten up the story, let's keep things moving, let's, you know, take this time to focus more on character development or things like that in more significant scenes. Uh, the Psycho example is an excellent once again, in terms of progression of that, exactly what we're talking about here, but um, <laughs> it just moments like that uh, just make me adore these older movies that much more, you know? Yeah, so. it, it was an entertaining watch, and I, I don't regret watching a single minute of awesome, it. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, I mean, <clears throat> once again, always a pleasure to watch these movies with you because, you know, some of the observations, like the whole waterboarding with the whiskey, I mean, it's it's blunt, but yeah, that's it's essentially exactly what he what did. He did. <laughs> but hey, you know, at least he wasn't doing the Cagney thing, shoving a half a watermelon in into her face just or uh grapefruit into her face just because he disagreed with her or something i mean they were genuinely no, no instead he just used a uh, straight right hand yeah. as a distraction <laughs> just knocked her the fuck out but as he said the funniest thing don't forget this just popped into my head the cops as he's running around to wake her up again the cops are like what did you what happened and he said she was in the line of fire so the quickest way to remove her from the line of fire and protect her was to punch her in the face and knock her the as fuck out. As hard as I can. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Knock her the fuck out. She was in the line of fire, officer. It was just fine. <laughs> Man. Incredible film. Incredible, yeah, on that, on that happy uh, tip. Uh, it's called The Thin Man, starring William Powell and Myrna Loy. And it's actually written by a uh, well-known at the time uh, writer, uh, screenplay, uh, stage, whatever, Dashiell Hammett. J.J. <laughs> <J>. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh-huh. Well, he's got his fucking hands in everything. <clears throat> he wouldn't be a J.J. Abrams, but he would be like, um, you know, one of those... A good writer. Well, no, what I mean is he would be recognized for the screenwriting or the uh, novels that he wrote, like like a Stephen King. Yeah. Only on the murder mystery side, whoever that contemporary would be. That, that would be like Dashiell Hammett in the 30s of the time. Yeah, it, it, it's no Agatha Christie as far as murder mysteries, but no, it's serviceable. Well, the and the in the acting is what really pulls it through. That's just what I was gonna say. Is the whole rapport between William Powell and Myrna Loy and their relationship? You just believe it, and they just have fun, even though they're just drunks stumbling through a fortune without a fucking care in the world. <laughs> yeah, it, it is just one notch away from just being a screwball comedy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really good. So. uh Thank you again, dude, for hosting. Always a fucking pleasure. Yep. Brad, what have you got to plug? Um, well, uh, I'm working on a couple of different things. Uh, I'm just going to say that um, my whole thing about trying to do promotion and stuff for projects, uh, 2023, I'm going to be initiating some promotion, ad campaign stuff. I'm going to have you involved with that as well. And um, that's about all I can say about it right now. What about you? What what the fuck just happened? I don't know. I felt something. <laughs> you dropped something? I, I don't think so because I didn't have anything in my hand. I felt something hit my boot. God damn it. <laughs> this Perfect. goddamn haunted ass suicide garage. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Fantastic. Uh, I, so I, I, I what got, do you have coming up? Just Chris? this. Just oh, yeah. this. Okay. Uh, I've had a little more time, so we might have uh, some other stuff coming. We'll see. Okay. All no, right. Uh, yeah. No announcements yet. Well, yeah, not yet, but uh, 2023 is going to be a new year, and uh, there are some things that are on the horizon um, once we cross that point. So, new year, new you, new look. Mm. Well, <clears throat> I actually, I am going to do a, uh, I am just reached out to this uh, artist who did the logos for Mountain Fire Media, the Coyote logos. Yeah. And uh, he's going to do another one of those for me and a couple of other designs um, that, um, that I'm working on. And um, so I'm looking forward to introducing those and um, uh, probably applying them to other uh, promotions and other things like that, these um, newer designs. So anyway, there is going to be a new uh, torch tail design that uh, I'll be um, utilizing in 2023 as well. So that's coming up. Cool. Jays. So that's pretty much everything, dude. Yeah. It's very cold and I have to pee. Are we finished? Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here, All dude. right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. We, we appreciate you more than words could possibly drink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thin man. Uh, huge drinker. Yeah.